1 Timothy 5 is where we're going to be at this morning. Um, again, I appreciate having Bill Gellert with us this morning, and I forgot to announce that if you uh, feel uh, led to give towards his ministry of uh, getting Bibles out, he's going to be at the back, and you can, uh, you can donate to him there and help uh, share God's Word with the world in that sense. So he's going to be in the back after that. 1 Timothy 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 16 this morning, 9 through 16. Last time we met, two weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 through 8, really focused in from Paul to Timothy. Remember, Paul's teaching Timothy as a younger minister, um, ascending to the church of Ephesus and surrounding churches to help uh, those churches grow uh, in understanding of how God wants them to function. And he gets to this section in 1 Timothy 5, and he focuses in on their ministry of widows, the ministry of widows. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 16. Using tools is a necessary part of life, isn't it? Well, at least that's what I tell my wife when I want to buy a new tool, right? It's necessary. It's necessary for us to have that. But if you think about it, it's true, right? Uh, Whether it's a big project or a small fix, Having the right tool for the job is essential. And we've all had that moment where you're working on a project or you get into something and you need that specific tool. Maybe you've went and got the ones that you thought you needed, you got into it and you realize, ugh, I need a flathead screwdriver instead of a Phillips head. I need this saw instead of that saw. You need something that's not there right now and what you have becomes useless because it's not usable for that specific project you're working on. Well, maybe now you're thinking, what are we talking about tools here for? Why why do we start with tools? Well, here's the reason, and as we get to it, and as we get to what our text is going to tell us this morning, what we're going to be challenged with is this idea that God wants you to be a useful tool for his glory. God wants you to be a useful tool for his glory. We're going to talk about this passage in 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 through 16. And he focuses in on this topic of widows. And at at the time, the culture that he is writing, the ministry to widows is a big deal for the church. This is a group of people, a group of women that outside of family members, they have no one that will care for them. And as we talked about last time in verses 1 through 8, he's narrowing it down to true widows, those who really have no extended family members, no kids that can take care of them anymore. And he's challenged us in verses 1 to 8 as a church to care for those widows, to care for them in a very specific way financially, but also for all of their needs that they would have. Now, he takes that topic and goes even further with it, not just the church's ministry to, to widows. Now in verses 9 through 16, we're going to look at what ministries those widows are still able to be useful for. And he really focuses in on this idea of, widows, uh, you're not off the hook now. Don't think you've reached retirement age and now you can sit back and take it easy because the church is just going to take care of you. No, we have a specific job for you to do as well. All along, what we're going to be challenged with is that God wants us to be useful tools for his glory. And we're going to be asking questions this morning as to, Are you a useful tool for God's glory? 
Let's read our text this morning. 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 16. Verse 9 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our time this morning. Be with us as we look at this one specific text. Help us to understand it. Help us to be challenged by the character that we find here. Help us to grow to be more like you. Be with us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we have in our passage is this specific text, like I've already mentioned, Paul to widows, but specifically Paul to churches, on how to put widows into ministry. And as we find here, this text looks like there is a specific, a specific ministry in the church that widows can be a part of. And you see verse 1 there. It says, it says, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years old. Well, enrolled in what? It's saying enrolled in a specific ministry that widows can have to the, to the people that are in the church and outside of the church and ways that they can minister to these people. So we're... we're, we're dealing with uh, from the onset is this specific ministry and how these women can be included in it. So as we start, what we're going to look through at the main idea of this text is this, be ready, willing, and qualified to serve your Savior well. Be ready, willing, and qualified to serve your Savior well. Look at those three different aspects. Be ready and willing. Those ones you think in your mind, well, okay, I could be thinking of my Christian walk, ready to step in when God wants me to step in. Um, And I can be willing, ready and willing, but how about qualified? And qualified to serve your Savior well. That's really the one that we're going to focus in on this morning. Are you qualified in the sense that you are doing what Scripture tells should be done by believers, growing in your Christian walk, putting Him first, and asking God for His help in your growth? When we do that, God is going to be excited to put you into service because he's gonna, it's all for his glory. And he, when he sees somebody that has character, that loves God and wants to serve God, he is excited to use that individual. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that you're perfect because none of us are perfect. We all have sins and ups and downs in the Christian walk. But as we look over a long stretch of our life, we should be able to look back and say, Remember, I used to struggle with this. Remember when God helped me work through that. All of these things we can see God doing a work in our life to make us more usable for him. Be ready, willing, and qualified to serve your Savior well. Three questions from our text that we're going to ask this morning. The first one 
is, are you continually becoming more like Christ? Are you continually becoming more like Christ? Look at verse 9. 9 and 10 really focusing on this. Verse 9 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up her children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. It really focuses in on this question, are you becoming more like Christ? What it is saying is, is this person that we're contemplating to put into this widow's ministry, is she showing the characteristics of Christ? And not just in one instance at one time, she hasn't at one point just made that uh, idea of salvation real in her life and accepted Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that that starts it, but has there been a continual uh, process in her life where people through a long amount of time can look and say, wow, she does show the character of Christ. You know, she's not perfect, but you can see that as time's gone on, she's someone that I would look up to. Now, what we find in the text is specific qualifications for widows that would be uh, looked at as a possibility for this ministry. So what are the qualifications listed out specifically here? Widows that qualify for the widow's ministry would include, first of all, this specific age category that this widow has to be 60 years old and above. Uh, Let widows be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Now, one thing I want to point out here is that there is no point in your life when you can take a step back and say, hey, I'm done with ministry. Our missionary that was here last week, he challenged us with that same idea, that same thought, because a lot of times we think, well, i got to work hard, do everything that I can now, but once I get to that retirement age, you know what? It's time for me to sit back. It's time for me to take it easy. Everyone else can step in and do all the work and do all the ministry. That's not at all what this text is telling us. It's saying this one actually has a qualification that in order to be a part of this ministry, you have to be 60 years old and above. That seems out of our mind to think that way. 60 years old and above qualifies you to be part of this ministry. And really at this time, this, this age, 60 years and above, Culturally, it's a thought that this is when women were out of the childbearing years, out of the really remarrying years, and they wanted to devote themselves to Christ. They wanted to say, I want to put everything else aside and really focus on serving him in a way that, that he wants me and the church needs me to serve him. And so that's what we find here. First qualification, 60 years old and above. Widows, elderly women, God has a plan for you. God has a need for you in the church. Prayer, ministry to younger widows. A parallel passage in Titus 2, 3 through 5 says this. It says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may be reviled, may not be reviled. What's it saying? It's saying that widows have a job, and part of that job is to minister to the younger women in the church, those who have families, those who need help, those who need your prayers, those who need your conversation and your direction. Uh, It it is important, and God, it's so important that Paul puts it in this letter that the church needs godly, mature women to help in the church, to minister 60 years of old, age, 
60 years old and above. Let's look at the next qualification. It says that she also must be the wife of one husband. The wife of one husband. Now again, this is just like the qualification that we talked about in uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 3 for deacons and for pastors. It's not saying that they, only, they had to only be uh, married one time. Really, that specific literal translation is that this person, this woman who is a widow, has to be a one-man woman, a one-man woman. It means that everybody around knows that as they look at her, she has been faithful to her husband, not just in the area of sexuality, but even in flirtatious uh, actions or trying to get something from other relationships or other people. That does not characterize her at all. She's a one-man woman. And this has been noticeable and obvious and exemplary for a long period of time. Even if she has been remarried after maybe a first husband has passed away, her relationship has always been to her husband, a one-man woman, same way that pastors are to be a one-woman man. This is a qualification for it. Go on a little bit more in our text. The third qualification is that she has to have a reputation for good works a reputation for good works. And he gives some specifics. He lists out underneath this category or topic of reputation for good works, many different topics. First, it says that she has to have brought up her children. Now, brought up her children means that she has to have cared for them physically and spiritually. She has taken the time and effort to really be the one that thinks through their family and provides for kids, brings them up physically means their food, their clothes, the everything that they need, but even as more importantly is spiritually. It thinks through, what are they thinking? Am I having open conversations with my kids to tell them about God, ask their questions about life, and be there to guide and direct them in the right way? This widow that's qualified for this position has done this. She has a track record of caring for her family, and that makes her qualified for this position. She has a reputation of good works because she brought up her family. She also has shown hospitality. In the culture, what they would have is a lot of uh, travelers, Christian travelers. And as Christian travelers went, not a lot of hotels in the area. So what churches would do would have uh, families that would put people up and use hospitality to show how much they care and love those people. Does this person show hospitality? Another qualification is that this individual, this widow, washed the feet of the saints. Washed the feet of the saints. Washing the feet of the saints was not a fun job. People are walking, it's dusty, it's dirty all over the place. And could you imagine, you got to wash their feet? Uh, it's gross, right? You might have some bacteria that's growing. You might, who knows what's going on? But this individual put all of that aside to really care for them. And we know this is a, an illustration that... Uh, Paul is trying to teach Timothy to say that this woman who qualifies for this ministry, she does not shy away from humble servitude. She doesn't shy away from humble servitude. She makes herself low, as low as a servant was, does the hard things to really care for people well. That's her heart, a servant's heart. It also says in the text that she's cared for the afflicted. She thinks of those who are around her, those who are going through tough things, things that maybe she cannot fathom, and she puts a plan into action to care for them. She cares for the afflicted. 
Maybe that's a card. Maybe that's a word of prayer. Maybe that's a visit that she has gone and done that continually. Last thing about this individual is that she has devoted herself to every good work. Her whole character, all of the things that has encompassed so far, has been a love for Christ and then a love for other people. She, in seeing all of these things grow in this widow, what it's saying is that she is obviously a follower of Christ and wants to love people well. And she does it throughout her life. This has made her qualified for service. She can be a good servant to the church, even at an older age when it seems like you know, people wouldn't want to be serving. She has shown, I want to do whatever God wants me to. I want to be available now the question for us to ask is, do we have that heart? Do we have that servant's heart that we truly want to be used by God for his glory, even at our older age or younger age, do we want to be used by God for his glory? Hopefully that answer is yes to that question. That brings us to our second question we get from our text today. <clears throat> Number two, are you directing your passions or are your passions directing you? Are you directing your passions, or are your passions directing you? Yesterday, my five-year-old, Janie, she had her first fall soccer game, okay? Now, if you've ever watched five-year-olds play soccer, let me tell you, it's riveting, okay? Uh, And the funny thing is, is that you see right away, if they have a passion to play soccer or not to play soccer, most of the time it's, you know, mom and dad want them to try something new, to do something fun. And maybe they think it's fun and exciting to put on the soccer stuff or whatever until they get out there. And then it seems a little nervous, a little scared. Maybe I want to run off the field often back to my parents. Maybe I want to cry because it's not something that I'm used to. Now think about it. Their main job in that, even as a five-year-old, is to get out there, learn how to play soccer from their coach, and go have fun. Play soccer is their main goal. But all of these other passions and desires weigh on them as a little kid. And as they take steps to play, those things, they, sh- they shadow what they're there to do, their main idea. And they find themselves running off. They find themselves crying. They say, find themselves chasing the butterflies, sitting on the grass, doing nothing, right? Now, why do I mention all this? Because sometimes we're just like <clears throat> these little five-year-olds that get distracted by every little thing that comes along. Our main goal is to serve and be willing to be a servant for Christ. But our passions sometimes lead us away. In the same sense, Paul, as he's talking to Timothy, and he's talking about this ministry to the widows, he says, gives them some specific qualifications. You know, do it when she's an older woman. All of these Christian characters, you can see maturity growing in them. But then he gets to this specific, and look at verse 11. He says, but refuse to enroll younger widows... For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So specifically, he says, for when their passions draw them away from Christ. That's really what I want to look at. This idea and the specific passions that draw them away from Christ can be talking about their sexual desires, but I think it encompasses more than just a sexual desire or sexual attitude. It says, it continues, it says, they desire to marry. So they start to have a desire to have a, a, a family and raise kids and be involved in, in that life. And we know that that's not a bad thing, right? God has called us to love our family and to uh, produce and multiply. And so that's not a bad thing for them to be 
going after. The problem comes is when the passion and desire for those things overshadow their desire for doing what Christ wants them to do. And specifically when we're talking about this ministry to widows, what it looks like here is these widows that join uh, this ministry, they are called to to make an oath. They get up in front of the church, it seemed like it was a public oath, and they say, at this point, I'm devoting myself continually to Christ. And you can think of a widow that's a younger widow. Maybe she is devastated. She thinks that her life's never going to be the same. She's at that point where she says, I want to just devote everything to Christ. But as time goes on, her, her motives and desires change, and she wants to go back on that oath that she committed in front of all of the church and say, now I want to get married. I want to go backwards on the oath. If we look into Scripture, God takes oaths very seriously. He says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. It means enter into a specific oath and decision carefully, cautiously. And when you determine to do something for Christ, that is important for you to hold to that. And so Paul is not saying that it's bad for someone who has been married in the past and is now a widow to remarry. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that if you've committed to Christ... Um, make sure you're not letting any of your passions and desires shadow what you're doing for Christ. And I think this puts us all in the category of someone who needs God's help to guide and direct our passions toward Christ instead of letting our passions guide and direct us every which way, right? Question for you, what passions or desires might be driving you away from Christ? What passions or desires might be driving you away from Christ and a life totally committed to serving him. Let me give you a couple suggestions. Maybe maybe it's a passion for a relationship. Maybe you've always wanted a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you want to get married. Um, maybe you want to have uh, good friends, close friends. Is that a bad desire? No, it's not. But if they, sh- if they shadow your mind and don't allow you to focus on what Christ wants, and it becomes something that is taking you away from Christ. Not good. It's unfortunate that I've seen many Christian kids grow up in Christian homes that, you know, confessed a salvation testimony with Jesus Christ. But when it gets to that point of dating, when it, and it gets to that point of looking for a spouse, they say it's important for them to have a, a Christian spouse. But when push comes to shove and their emotions start to really attach themselves to someone who doesn't know God, doesn't know Jesus, doesn't care about Jesus, we find them saying, okay, but, you know, he's not, God's not that important. Christ isn't that important. No, we need to be teaching our kids to care so much for Christ that we don't push him aside. He is number one and everything else falls into place. Maybe it's a passion for a relationship that causes you to turn aside from Christ. What else? Maybe it's a passion for physical possessions that, turns to, that challenges you to turn aside from Christ. Physical possessions can take us all every which direction, causes us to spend more time at work, take that promotion that we know is not good for our family, and it means I won't, have to, I won't be able to spend time with my kids, my wife, yeah, all sorts of things, because I want that bigger house. I want whatever it is. You know, fill in the blank. Maybe it's a passion for your hobbies. Maybe it's something that you love to do 
And it's not bad to have things you love to do if they don't take you away from Christ. Maybe it's your hobbies for fishing, hunting, watching the Vikings games. All of those things that are specific. You fill in what you love most and say, what if God wanted me to give that up? Would I be willing to do it? Or what if I, didn't, I wasn't able to do it as often as I wanted to because I wanted to be involved more with what God wanted me to be involved more with? Are you willing to do those things and take those steps? A passion for your hobbies. What else might take you away from following Christ? Maybe it's a passion for sexual fulfillment. For sexual fulfillment. And I use this term because this is what culture says is top priority and should be top priority for everything. That you need to be sexually fulfilled. And what does that mean? That whatever I think I need is best for me. And if I don't get that from my spouse, my husband, my wife, it is okay to look outside because that's what I need to fulfill me. It's a passion and desire that is not directed on serving and following God. And I'm putting that above God. Is that desire pulling you away from Christ? How about a passion for picture, a picture-perfect family? A picture-perfect family. And that, that means I do what I can to make them look how I want them to look, do what I want them to do, and when they don't do that and act that way, watch out. Because I'm going to get angry, I'm going to get manipulative. I want my family how I want it to be. But then it becomes nothing about Christ. It becomes about how you think that picture-perfect family should look and not about Christ. Do you care about your family in the sense of wanting them to have a relationship with Jesus, wanting them to grow in that relationship, understand that their sin is, is an affront to a God that loves them, and grow in those? That's, that's what's important. Not this picture-perfect Facebook picture family that looks like everybody wants to be like you. That's, that's not what God cares about. <clears throat> Maybe it's a passion for your kids to be great. You want to live your dreams through your kids, and you're going to put all of your time and energy and effort into their education, into their sports, into whatever it is for your kids, and that leads you and your family away from Christ. God is saying, put them in its rightful place and look at your passions and say, God, help me to direct my passions to, to your Son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I love him, God, help me to understand where I can put these other things underneath you so that I can teach my family, I can show my family how I love you and how it's so much better to serve you. And then you're doing it as a family together. You're teaching your kids, you're with your wife, you're, you're thinking about how your, your, your whole family dynamic works, but it's with the purpose and focus of glorifying God with your life. As that works its way out, that's what we find with this, this widow that is qualified to be in ministry. She has done that. She, she's not the younger widow who her passions carry her away, it draws them away from Christ, because um, then they'll desire uh, to, to be married and do all these things, not that they're bad in and of themselves, but it also says, look at verse 12, and so incur condemnation for, for having abandoned their former faith. That seems like a very uh, deep warning, it, that her passions are carrying her away from what she's committed to Christ. It's the same with us. Don't let your passions carry you away. Commit yourself to Christ. Put everything else in its rightful place under that. Three questions we've been challenged with. Well, two already. Are you continually becoming more like Christ? 
Number two, are you directing your passions? Or are your passions directing you? That brings us to our third question this morning. Number three, do you keep yourself busy in the work God has for you? Do you keep yourself busy in the work God has for you? Now here's the reality, is that we are all busy, aren't we? Whether it's spring, fall, winter, summer, uh, you talk to anybody and they can say, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And I can remember it during the school year, you're like, oh, if I can just make it to summer, we're going to have a little more time to breathe, you know, I'll be able to enjoy a vacation. And then, blink, well, it's fall, school's starting again, okay? And then you get to the times where you think, oh, if I could just make it to retirement, I'm going to have a lot more time. I was just talking to my father-in-law who retired in the spring. I said, how are you doing? You, You golfing? You taking it easy? And he's like, you would not believe it. I am more busy than I have been before. Uh, helping people, doing stuff that I normally didn't have time to do. The, what's the reality is that we're all busy no matter what time it is. But the question for us is not, are you busy? But do you keep yourself busy in the work God has for you? Do you keep yourself busy in the work God has designed, has brought into your life, has, wants you to grow in? He wants you to be busy in his work. Now, I know that means that's going to include your family. That's going to include your work. But it's going to include him and service to him as well. Look at verse 13. It says, besides that, this is talking about the widows again. It says, besides that, the younger widows that shouldn't be qualified. It says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying, uh, saying what they should not. So what do we find here? We says that we need to be busy in God's work, but these younger widows, if we put them in the place of ministry where the church is providing for them, that gives them opportunity to live in a way that God doesn't want them to live. And a couple things specifically that they, uh, he talks about here. One is that they would become lazy. It says, besides that, they learn to be idlers. God does not want us to be lazy people to use our time, to sit around. Um, this is something we can all learn from. We want to take that downtime that we need, but we don't want an extended amount of downtime that all we do is care about what we want to do, and we get no work done. Uh, the thing that comes to my mind as I think about that is the younger, younger teenage group that really loves video games, right? You know, they, they spend... I'm not saying anything that video games are bad, at the amount of time that you can give to them, which is, you know, at a a certain amount. But we've got this category of people who've grown up on video games and think that that's so important that they're willing to put off their family. They're willing to put off their kids. They're willing to take sick days so they can sit and be lazy doing this. Oh, look at how awesome I I did it. I won the thing. I like a video game with my kids as, as much as anybody else. But I'm saying we can't let our laziness take over so that it characterizes who we are. Do not stay busy being lazy. That seems like a weird way to say it, right? Don't stay busy being lazy. But these younger widows, that would be a temptation for them. They have more energy than the older widows that were over 60. And now the church has taken care of them. They would have a temptation to be lazy. What else does it say? Is this. Do not stay busy tearing down others. Look at the passage. It says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. 
They become lazy, and the, the specific that's laid out is that they go around from house to house. Now, you'd think that that would be part of their ministry is visiting other people, but the purpose behind visiting was not to minister to them, not to care for them. It was just to be in the know about everything that was going on so that they had this knowledge about everybody. It almost seems like they had everything on everybody. And then it continues and said that that temptation of just being idle and knowing everything could easily turn into a gossip, sh- gossip session. It says, and also gossips and busybodies. And we know what gossip is. It's the idea of speaking unkindly, unhelpfully to other people. It's something that you know. It could be a truth that is being spoken, or it could be an untruth or a lie that is being spoken, but it's done in such a way that is trying to tear somebody else down. That's what gossip is. We should not live to be lazy. We should not stay busy tearing other people down. Paul specifically says, don't let people who have this characteristic be part of this ministry. Don't, and, and, and that challenges our heart uh, to, to do what is right to God. Don't be lazy. Don't tear other people down. And then also it says, and busybodies. And what is a busybody? That means that they are not supposed to stay busy sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. That's really what a busybody is. It's somebody going about injecting themselves in other people's affairs and saying they know what's right or they've got the right thing or just knowing. And it's not for ministry. It's not for the sake of caring and loving them. Don't be busybodies as well. <clears throat> so he starts with don't stay busy living opposite of godly character. Then in verse 14 and 15, he reminds us to stay busy in the work God designed for you. Stay busy in the work God designed for you. Don't do it with being lazy. Don't do it with tearing people down. Don't be a busybody. But here's what he says to the widows. Get busy in the work that God has designed for you. And what's the work he's designed for widows that are younger? Well, it's taking care of a home. Look at verse 14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. It is a specific, uh, important job that God has designed for women to care for their, their family in a very specific way. I mean, women, let me talk to you for just a minute. I want you to know that the job that God has called you to in your family is an important, valuable, honorable, God-ordained position. That's very important for you to hear because I think our culture really downplays that and says that, oh, you have to take a hit on the chin because, well, you maybe have to stay home and watch your kids. And maybe you, you can't uh, go after your education, your own job, because you have kids. Well, what does this passage say? That it is an important, God-ordained job that you are over your families. And you do not need to think any less of yourself because you're not out there making the money that your husband is or you're doing a different role because you're helping to serve your family well, that God is happy and pleased that you're doing that. The Scottish preacher, Ian McLaren, he tells of a conversation he had with a woman in his church that really illustrates the importance of what women do for their families. As they were talking, him him and this woman, she began to wipe her eyes with the corner of her apron. So Dr. McLaren said, What's, uh, what's disturbing you? Oh, she said, 
Sometimes I feel I've done so little, and when I think about it, it makes my heart heavy. Because really, I've done so little for Jesus. When I was a wee girl, the Lord spoke to me and my heart, and I, I surrendered to him. And I wanted to live for him, oh, so much, but I feel I haven't done anything. Well, what have you done with your life? He asked. Oh, nothing, she said. Just nothing. I mean, I've washed dishes, I've cooked three meals a day, I've taken care of my children, I've mopped the floor, mended the clothes, you know, everything a mother does, that's, that's all I've done. McLaren sat back in his chair and asked, well, where are your boys? Oh, she spoke, uh, you know, I name them after all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know them all, and uh, you know where Mark is. You ordained him. He went to China. He learned the language, and now he's able to minister to the people in the name of the Lord. Well, where's Luke? McLaren said. Well, you know well enough where he is because you sent him out. And I had a letter from him the other day. Well, he is in Africa. And he says a, a rival has broke out at his mission station. Well, and Matthew? He questioned. Well, he's with his brother in China, and they are working together. And John, who's 19, he came to me last night to say, God has laid Africa on his heart. He said, oh, I'm going to Africa, but don't worry about it, Mom, because the Lord has shown me that I am to stay with you until you go home to, to glory. And then I'll go. Until then, I have to take care of you. McLaren looked at the elderly saint and said, well, your life has been wasted, you say? Well, yeah, it's been wasted. You have been cooking and mopping and washing, but I would like to see the reward when you are called home. What he's helping us understand is that the job that God has called moms to, the job that he has given to you to care for your family, to, to really speak to heart. You know who is the biggest influence on your family? Those who are around them all the time. And you get to te teach your kids about God. You get to hear their questions and direct the answers back to God. But that is such an important task. And it's one that I'm thankful my wife picks up. And your husbands, as you are a godly spouse that cares for your family, is thankful that you're doing that. And God is pleased when you're, you're, you're taking your job and doing it. We find that these widows, they are, have been consistent in this job of caring for their families. And because of it, they've shown their Christian character for those that are all around them. And, and they are willing to be used and able to be used by God to do the case. He ends with verse 16, reminding us um, what he's already told us earlier in the passage. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And so those who are part of this ministry um, are raised up as Christian godly character. Uh, and we should look to have that same type of character. How about you today? How would you answer these three questions? Are you continually becoming more like Christ? Are you directing your passions or are your passions directing you? Last one, do you keep yourself busy in the work God has for you? If we can answer these yes and see that I want to be used, then we're ready, we're willing, and we're qualified to be placed in a ministry, um, whatever that looks like for God, when he's ready to put us there. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for showing us your character, even through the, uh, the example of these widows God, we ask for your help to continue to grow.
to understand our sin, to understand that it's better to love you and to live for you than it is to follow our own passions and desires. God, we need your help. Uh, We need to see clearly that you are what's best for us and to live for you. We need help to overcome our sin and to to worship you with our life. Um, Help us to take those thoughts with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.